Hi. Hello. It's Halloween. Spooky, scary Halloween. All Hallows Eve. I mean, Halloween week. So next, right. in one week, next Sunday, we're all going to be doing trick-or-treating and in our costumes. Oh my gosh, I just walked around the neighborhood I live in and there is a scare Halloween battle happening on these two houses, like the like beautiful houses. They're on the, like opposite corners of each other. And they're just so done up that I'm like, I have to go out on Halloween just to see what they do. Like I imagine oh, absolutely. trick-or-treaters are going to go crazy for it. I saw a disturbing image on my drive back to Boston today from Maine. What? Someone had a like like a John Deere, like some sort of machine in their front yard. Uh-huh. One of the skeletons was driving it and the other skeleton was being run over. But <gasps> it wasn't just like the skeleton was being run over. Like they full on did it. Like the leg was twisted. Part of the leg was off. Whoa. Like I was, oh, gruesome. Or creative. <laughs> Very creative. But also I had to be like, it's not real. It's not real. <laughs> As I'm driving. Oh my god. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina. And what better way to celebrate Halloween, Corinne, than with a bunch of ghost stories that you have for me? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if I'd call them exactly ghost stories because none of them have to do with ghosts, but they're definitely within the paranormal realm. Okay. But this past weekend, I was with my parents visiting my Grammy who lives in the Bethel, Maine area. And my uncle lives with my Grammy and is her caretaker. And we were just like all kind of, you know, chatting. And I think because of the podcast, things get brought up a lot and paranormal stories get brought up a lot in Mm -hmm. conversation. Of course. But I heard so much that I hadn't heard before. So when I was upstairs, I heard them talking about like, oh, that couple, remember that couple in this area had gotten abducted a while ago. What were their names? And I'm coming down the stairs. I'm like, oh, you're talking about Betty and Barney Hill? Of course. Yes. And my dad was like, oh, yeah, Uh, I remember when Betty Hill came to Plymouth State when I was in college and uh, spoke (gasps) and I went and saw her. And I was like, what are you talking about? How has this never come up? And he goes, you never asked. I said, how are you to know to ask that such a specific question? That's what I said. I was like, "Okay, the number of times aliens have come up in conversation with my dad has to be over 500. I've we covered Betty and Barney Hill and I've specifically talked about that case with my right. parents because it was near where they grew up and yeah. like lived. I was like, sorry, Dad, I didn't realize I had to specifically ask you, have you ever met <laughs> Betty Hill <laughs> from the abduction of like the 40s? Oh my gosh. But I asked him what she said, what he remembered. Mm-hmm. And he said that she was talking about the abduction. He doesn't remember too much, but basically she was talking about the abduction and what it was like and kind of like the aftermath of it for mm-hmm. her and her husband. And then she she also added that – so they lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. They got abducted in, like, the Franconian Notch area of New mm. Hampshire, if I'm remembering correctly, like Lincoln or somewhere over there. In the White Mountains of New Hampshire, they were abducted. Yeah, I'm but pretty sure I did in, the research for this, but I have – You did. I don't remember. Well, it's okay. But they lived down in Portsmouth, and what she was saying when she was at Plymouth State was that on the railroad tracks in Portsmouth, she would still frequently see, like, UFOs and what? aliens. <gasps> So it was like a recurring them, thing. Once you're abducted, you see them more? I I guess. Or maybe they were like kind of taunting her. Like Following she's her? continued to be hunted. Whoa. I don't know. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, my dad couldn't remember any more details. And of course, I was trying to Google this and couldn't find couldn't proper find details. It. So Ugh. if anyone works for like Plymouth State or is way better at Google than I am, let's figure out. If I know. I any, wish there like, was like a video record. recording. 
I know. I know it's hard, but it's that was 40, 40 years ago. I know, but there's got to be some archives. Yeah. I know. Uh, they got it. They have the, to exist. Yeah. We'll, we'll find them. We'll track them down. Yeah. So he, he was talking about that. And then it led him to tell me that he was driving in that same area and like in the Gorham, New Hampshire area, which mm-hmm. is where he grew up. He was driving back to Gorham one time through the White Mountains. And he said there were like 10 cars pulled to the side of the road. And he pulled over too because above them was this big sort of flashing light <gasps> and it stayed put. And they watched it for – about 10 minutes, like everybody, this line Whoa. of cars were looking up, watching it. And then all of a sudden it just zoomed off. And so it was very clearly a UFO because it was just hovering and then zoomed off. So again, I don't know why oh this gosh. story wasn't told to me yeah, four years what? ago when we started this podcast. But yeah. So then this gets my uncle going. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I want to hang out with the VN family. Oh, well, it's frustrating because I'm like, <laughs> I learned so many new things. And then my uncle's joking like, yeah, like your dad, like always – you know, he keeps a lot and like gives you just little nibbles. And I'm like, we've been doing this for so long. The content. How do we not know everything? Yeah. I have no clue what else lives within his brain that will. I think it's just like memories you forget about. And then someone says something and it triggers the memory. Right, like, oh, right. yeah. I remember when this happened. But I'm like, my God, the amount that we talk about like aliens specifically. Yeah. My mom's super like us. Like, look at the sky and find some UFOs <laughs> type of people. But anyway, so then my uncle gets on. He's like, oh, yeah, that he starts talking about paranormal things. And he was talking about when he was in Franklin, New Hampshire, over at these like women that he knew. He was friends with them and at their house. And he said orbs kept going by him. And he kept saying, like, what are these like light balls that are? He said it was very visible. And he was like, what are these like light balls going around? And they're like, oh, yeah, we kind of have a demon problem. (gasps) No. Oh, casual. Had, I know. He had no other info to give me. I was like, well, like, what happened? How do you know this? Like, did people? you like, ask more? Yeah. No, well, yeah. So then that that triggered him to tell me something else. He was like, oh, well, I don't know. They just said that they had a demon problem. He's like, but I did date a woman who practiced witchcraft in Rhode Island. And he said, and this reminds me, I feel like this is perfect timing. Because do you remember last episode in our encounters episode where we read the encounters where there was that woman who the police officer made contact with twice and her yes. eyes were completely black yes he said this woman that he was dating she practiced like dark magic like no wasn't practicing <gasps> a good version with oh, like no. try put hexes on people and stuff like that and he said she would get into this sort of trance when she was trying to like make contact and that her entire eyes would turn fully black <gasps> no yes so i'm like oh my god it was I was like, that sounds like possession. And he's like, I think it was possession. It was really scary. That relationship did not last long. He's like, she was really pretty, but I couldn't handle that. The fact that she like invited a demon to basically possess her. Yeah. But that I feel like that kind of answers the encounters questions that we had last week. Yeah. We were like, what's going on with that woman? And maybe she was in this. She was possessed. Maybe it's the same woman. Oh my God, what if it is? We I need that listener to tell us where, was. at least yeah. what state they're in. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, to each their own, but it is bewildering to me that someone could openly invite a possession. Yeah, I know. For it to take hold and like affect your body enough that your physical appearance changes. It's not just like right. your behavior is odd or your movements are Ugh. unnatural to your normal mannerisms and movement, but like your whole yeah. everything the whites of your eyes turn black and then where do you go like where does your soul go in a situation like that 
I feel like Liz Sauer or Ghosts in the Burbs did an episode kind of like that where like the woman was trapped in her body. I might be making it up, mm. but it sounds like a Ghosts in the Burbs episode. My favorite thing about Ghosts in the Burbs and following Liz Sauer on Instagram is that she, she like she based Ghosts in the Burbs on the town that she lives in. Uh-huh. And then she'll take videos of the town, but like intending it to be creepy. I'm like, you live here. This is your <laughs> town. She's like, isn't this creepy? <laughs> It's your neighborhood. It is it. I mean, (laughs) she's in Boston or near Boston? Wellesley. Yeah, it's outside of Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like the whole Northeast has that spooky vibe. Yes. Oh, and then, so I had texted you a video on Saturday when I walked by my great grandma, Mary, and great aunt. Somehow, I forget. But Mary and Pee Wee, who... A while ago, I had told the story about how Mary's ghost appeared to the new couple that owns their Mm -hmm. home. And basically, like, in their renovations, because Mary's ghost appeared to the woman, the wife, they they didn't renovate that one room in the front to keep it for Mary. So I sent you a picture or a video of it to show you, like, the view and Mm -hmm. the lake and the house. And it's, like, very clear that that front room is the only thing that's not Not, being touched. Yeah. And then today, my dad and I were walking down the road again towards that house. And the couple stops. They drive by. <gasps> they're like, hey! And they're from Boston. So they've got like these thick, like Massachusetts, Charlestown accents. Yeah. And I don't even bring up ghosts or anything. But my dad's like, the construction looks really good. And then the wife is like, oh my gosh. And immediately no. starts telling me what she saw. She was like, there's only one. Or the husband was like, there's two reasons we didn't renovate the front room. It's because of that beautiful big bay window. And it's because she saw. And then his wife was like, she appeared to me at the end of the bed, and she was this, like, really short, like, stout, kind of portly woman. And my dad was like, yeah, she was definitely pretty <laughs> overweight. But anyway, so my, my parents are now going to find some photos of Mary to show the woman to oh. have extra confirmation. They should frame so far, a little picture of Mary in the, the porch. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But so far, the only the only confirmation – I mean, it's got to be Mary. It was it has to She be. lived there forever, and yeah. it sounds exactly like her, but – they only got confirmation from family members and from apparently it was a neighbor who initially that they initially told the mm. story to. And the neighbor was like, oh, that sounds like Mary who used to live there. Whoa. Yeah. That is Pretty, so cool. Very cool. I thought you were going to say that when you watch the video back, you see Mary in the in the porch window. <gasps> oh, I need to watch <laughs> the video back. You know, what? probably not because there were so many construction workers at the house when yeah. during the time I sent you that video. I do wonder if the construction workers ever experience anything. I should have asked. Mm. They were all pretty young. I was surprised. They were, I mean, they were working there and they were all like, yeah. I feel like 20s and 30s, which I didn't expect in a, the smaller town of hmm. of Maine. So wow. I feel like those are good people to ask. Like, hey, kid, <laughs> you see a ghost What'd in there? you see over there? <laughs> What'd you see? What'd you see? But I will say as much as I got really great stories and a lot of frustration out of not having heard them when I should have heard them 20 years ago. It was really nice to just be like away from the city in wilderness and everybody was living out the dreams that I always say like we passed another we met some other people that had just moved in on the lake and they were wow. um, foraging mushrooms. Oh my god! I was like, oh, everything's great. And like, literally, as you walk by people's houses, if they notice you walking by, they come out. Like one guy came out and was like, "Hey!" Like just so neighborly. People strike up conversations. Oh. We we're invited in places. We were offered rides back if my foot got too like 
store or whatever. So I was just like, that's oh, so nice. This is just so such a stark difference from living in the city. I, I forget how people are. Oh, you made in me neighborhoods. want to go live in on the East Coast again. I know it really was. Well, it was. <sighs> popping with foliage so it was pretty great it, it looked really pretty i am excited i'm going to italy for a wedding i will be back by the time this episode comes out but we're going truffle picking truffle hunting yes that's gonna be amazing and i'm excited to bring foraging into my not that i can forage in in los angeles but not, not for truffles <laughs> not for truffles <laughs> at least but i'm i'm excited just to get yeah. a wilderness skill so truffle hunting does that i mean I would assume that involves the pigs. So I think they do it with dogs at the one that we're doing. But traditionally, yes, pigs. You just follow the boars Mm -hmm. as they sniff out truffles. That will be so fun. Do you get to keep them? Do you make a dish with them after? Do you eat them? I think the plant – I don't know all of it, but I think it's like a company who does it and they have a chef. So at the end of it, they prepare food with all the truffles you find. Oh, my God. I know. sounds so dreamy. I can't wait to eat all the food. I know. That's going to be so good. I wish I could just be tucked into your suitcase and come with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are going for someone's wedding, so I'm not invited, but. <laughs> It'll be like, I'll go busy. I'll go entertain myself when you guys are at the wedding. Easy. That's easy. so easy to do. <laughs> I'm in Italy, baby. Man, that will be so fun. I can't wait to hear how it goes. I know. I'm so excited. Okay. Since this is our Halloween episode, Corinne came up with a very broad <laughs> but delightful topic of just Halloween special. <laughs> but I was really excited. I learned after getting too specific. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, I kind of did it, but I did something else. <laughs> now it's just Halloween. No, there is like some great creative freedom here. Yes. <laughs> but... I'm really excited because when I was like trying to figure out what would be fun to talk about for Halloween, I started asking myself all these questions of like, well, how did some of the Halloween traditions come to be? Mm -hmm. And I grew up in New Jersey celebrating what was called Mischief Night. And every October 30th, we would sneak out or in my case, my parents would like let us go because it was a fun thing that we did every year. And we would go meet up with our friends. And TP people's houses or like pull pranks on people. And the one condition was that we could never egg a house. That was like our parents were like, you can go do all of this, but just don't use eggs because that's just awful. The cleanup. The cleanup. And it's just, it's cruel. But I moved to California and then I brought up Mischief Night freshman year of college and everyone looked at me like I had three heads. And I was like, how do you not know what Mischief Night is? And I realized it's, like, not a common thing. So not the thing. bad kids of Jersey, baby. I know. I guess I, like, <laughs> grew up in, like, the basically the, the purge, my, the Jersey version <laughs> of the purge. But so I was, like, shook. I was, like, how do people not know what it is? I posted a poll on our Instagram and asked people what they call the night before Halloween. For the most part, people were, like, all Hallows Eve or the night before Halloween. And then one one response was very funny because one of our listeners responded saying, I call it my mom's birthday because it's my mom's birthday on October 30th. <laughs> <laughs> but I like put options and it was like most people called it mischief night, but it's also referred to as like cabbage night or devil's night and all the stuff, which I'll get into. But basically, I think I'd heard devil's night. Yeah. I don't think we really celebrated anything or called anything, but I feel like Growing up, it was referred to as Devil's Night, if anyone referred to it at all. Yes. So I basically was like, 
I need to know the history of Mischief Night and I need to know why it was a mostly New Jersey thing and why other people don't know about it. (laughs) And therefore, I will spread the knowledge of Mischief Night and spread it across the world. (laughs) Probably not for the best. But anyway, I know (laughs) we're not encouraging this. No, no. Okay. It is interesting, the evolution of Mischief Night. So based on my research, most people call it Mischief Night, and it has a strong presence in New Jersey and the coastal Northeast. In Detroit, October 30th is known as Devil's Night, and then in parts of New England, it is called Cabbage Night, but it's also sometimes called Devil's Eve, Gate Night, or Goosey Night. Either way, it's kind of more commonly seen on the East Coast than anywhere else. And the origin of Mischief Night actually dates back to 1790, and originated in Britain and not in the U.S. But in the biggest but of this whole thing is that the original Mischief Night did not take place on October 30th. It took place the day before May Day, which I had to look up, but basically May Day is the celebration that they celebrate in midsummer. It's the ancient festival of marking the return of spring, and people like have these big festivals, and people wear flower crowns and white dresses, and they crown a May king and a May queen. So picture Midsummer. But back in and around 1790, people started to play practical jokes like switching shop signs and overturning water tubs and trapping people inside their houses on the day before May Day. Oh my god. Which, depending on the place, was celebrated or is celebrated on either the 1st of May or the first Monday in May. And young kids would start placing various sticks on neighbors' doors, and each branch would have like a meaning. So if you left a thorn on someone's door, it meant that person was scorn. Or if you left a bramble, it was like, oh, this person really likes to ramble. Very I don't know what stuff. a bramble is. I don't either. Is it like a stick? It must be a type of stick. Well, Google immediately told me it's a cocktail. So <laughs> oh, what kind I'm of not cocktail? entirely sure. Let's see, bramble stick. It's like a berry stick. Oh, maybe? okay. Oh, here we go. A bramble is a rough, tangled, prickly shrub. It grows blackberries, raspberries, dewberries. Okay. In other historical documents, Mischief Night is referred to as November 4th, which is the eve of Guy Fawkes Day. And that's just a big celebration of bonfires and drinking. So basically, it was like before a big celebration, people like pulled pranks on people. Why? I don't know. There was also reference to a night called Cabbage Night in Scottish history, which couldn't find the origin of like time-wise when it came Mm -hmm. about. But basically in Scotland, people would use cabbage leaves as fortune tellers the night before Halloween. And young women in particular would read the vegetables in order to determine facts about their futures and their future loves. And then once they read the leaves, they basically like were like, we have to dispose of them now. And they would throw them at neighbors' doors and then make a run for it into the night. (laughs) So super random, but kind of fun. And then... In the 1930s and 40s, Mischief Night started to appear in the U.S., and that was in reference to Halloween. And obviously, like, you can – I mean, with many traditions, like, there are immigrants who come from Europe or all these different countries and bring the traditions with them to Mm -hmm. the States. So around this time, it's like 1929, the Great Depression is – upon us and people they're like tons of tensions arising the youth are like trying to let out some steam and then black tuesday happens on october 29th 1929 which is a stock market crash and that's two days before halloween and so this like threat of war and like the stock market crashing it's just this last straw and people were desperate for some 
outlets and lighthearted fun, although not, I wouldn't say really necessarily turned into lighthearted fun, but basically the day after the stock market crash, people go out onto the streets on October 30th and mischief ensued. And then for years to follow, October 30th became the night for mischief and children would ring false fire alarms. They would set fires. They would break windows and just like harass people. There was stories of children stealing horses and wagons or dumping leaves on lawns and then others doing ding dong ditch. So like this is all starting all in the 1930s. And then in Boston on October 30th, 1937, I bet this is why you didn't hear of it and why well, I guess you didn't live in Boston. Never mind. But Boston adjacent. Yeah, yeah. All of New England kind of takes on yes. most of its persona. Okay. So in Boston on October 30th, 1937, children began a massive food fight and started throwing fruit and vegetables at one another in the street. And it became so rowdy and wild that they referred to it as the Battle of Charles. Like it, it has a war name. And the police and authorities had to come to break it up. Oh my like God. it is called the Battle of Charles. I mean, after this and then the great molasses flood that like I literally know. killed people, what is up with food and you know, turning it into something dangerous? People are just trying to have fun and it turns rowdy. Turns sour like candy. Oh, I love sour candies. <laughs> and then, of course, it caused a lot of damage over the years. In Detroit in 1984, local youths. The youths. I'm going to start calling everyone the youths. Those youths. Youths. They started over 800 fires on 800 fires? Wait, where was this? In Detroit. Oh, my God. In 1984. Well, thank God I was in California. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) But it was so bad that the following years of Halloween, they put curfews in place of just, like, Mm -hmm. that whole week leading up to Halloween. People couldn't be out of their houses at a certain time because they were, like, they were just trying to prevent Mischief Night from happening. But today, Mischief Night has become more playful and a little less destructive, hopefully. And unfortunately, it has fizzled out a bit, but it is still apparently celebrated in New Jersey, mostly by teens who decide to extravagantly throw toilet paper on their neighbor's lawns, trees, and houses, which, can I just say, it requires a lot of work and a lot of toilet paper. So it's almost an art, I would say. I would go as far as saying it's art. Would you – I mean, you participated in it. So do you appreciate the opportunity that kids have to do this? Or would you be like, I'm standing out on my porch all night and I'm I mean, scaring the shit out of anyone who comes near my lawn? Listen, I had such a good time. Like, okay, let me just tell you this story. So when I was growing up, our next-door neighbor, who we called Mr. Milk – which I think his last name was like Milton or something like that. But he gave out pennies for Halloween and he was a kind of a mean, grumpy, or so we perceived him to be. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like the Boo Radley of our neighborhood. So everyone was like kind of scared of him. We like made up rumors and like legends and lore around him. And he was the only person in our neighborhood who built this like huge fence around his back property. And he had tons of like creepy trees reaching their like – leaves and sticks and branches out over the fence and so we were like what is in his fence like what is he hiding because no one else aside for people who had pools had fences and those were you know you can like see through them or whatnot but this was like high and you couldn't see through it 
Yeah, a privacy friend. <laughs> yes. I, okay. For privacy. Yes, but as a child, and he was grumpy and scary to us, we, you know, were afraid of him and created yeah. this lore about him. So every mischief night, in addition to going out and TPing houses, there was a dare that started to form around with our group of friends, and it was a dare to jump over his fence and TP the trees, but also see if you can survive beyond the fence. So I remember like one year I was like too scared, but like I jumped over and then like jumped back over real quick. So I was like too scared to stay back there. But then we would just like, I don't know, we would just like throw like a few rolls of toilet paper in people's yards. And there I've seen, I've seen like evidence of things that are crazy or people stealing people's Halloween decorations and like messing with people's yards. And I would not condone that. But I think toilet paper is just, it's harmless. Yes. To an extent, I've seen yes. how difficult it is, like, passing by certain TP'd locations. Yeah. That sometimes, like, depending on the weather, if it's really windy, if it rains, ooh, never do it if it's about to rain. Yeah, Because then it gets, fair. like, sucks. Stuck it's in It's impossible to clean up. Okay. I will say my neighborhood, like, every year the kids did it. So it kind of felt like the community knew it was going to happen and was okay with it. So I think if you live in a place like that, then, yes, you can do it. But I wouldn't recommend – letting your kids go because i think that might be considered like a criminal activity at this point i think it is yeah and i would totally be i would be that guy the guy you guys were all afraid of i would have the scary trees in the privacy (laughs) fence and i'd be waiting out with i'd put Ooh, you know what would be fun is like if you live in an area where that happens like setting up little not walkie talkies because they go like bloop at the end but like some sort of thing that you can speak into like a little speaker in different places just get a shit out of people when you catch them, that they're like in the yard in the bushes, like, hello. It's like the Princess Diaries. Get off the get off. <laughs> yes. Get off the grass. Get off the lawn. Get off the grass. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. So I think it has evolved a lot now. It doesn't exist as much, but it has kind of evolved into oh, I can't remember what it's called, but where you like it's like you've been booed, where you drop off a little like goodie basket at someone's door, ring the doorbell, and then run away. And then they have to do it to someone else. Did you ever do that? Yes, that yeah. happens in, in my neighborhood. I like that because you're gifting things yes. to people. Yes. The one thing I hate the most is pumpkin smashing. Yeah, if that's If someone awful. goes near my pumpkins, I will lose my mind. I will become the criminal. Yeah, that's mean. Just because like people put so much work into that. Yes. Unless you're and in California, dis- the pumpkins like property. pumpkins smash themselves in California. They rot. They rot so quickly <laughs> that it looks like they've been smashed. That's why painting in California is better than carving. But okay, so basically that's why Mischief Night was created because people wanted to let off steam. And another historical Halloween fact is regarding haunted houses. So similar to Mischief Night in the U.S., haunted houses are a result of the Great Depression. Basically, Halloween was becoming a time when young folks, especially men, would blow off some steam. And apparently in 1933, things went way too far. People were, like, flipping cars. There was a story of someone sawing off telephone poles, which is bizarre to me. And property was telephone just Telephone poles? Yeah. Like, not like, not like a mailbox with a wood down. post? No. How telephone the heck do you poles. do that? A lot of effort. But it was so destructive that the year's holiday was referred to as Black Halloween, similar to Black Tuesday, which was the stock market crash. And so communities were so enraged that there was even discussion of banning Halloween indefinitely. But instead, and I'm very grateful for this because could you imagine a world without Halloween? 
Instead, people came together and decided to make more organized events around Halloween so the kids had somewhere to go and activities to keep them busy. So haunted houses became part of these activities. Love and it. the plan was basically like scare the youth silly so that they would go straight home instead of vandalizing their neighborhoods. I like it. That was really smart. And it's really yeah. fun for us now. I know. As people who've been through haunted houses still enjoy going through haunted yep. houses. And one day we'll be the ones who put on mm-hmm. the haunted houses. Yes. Oh, so excited for my future haunted I houses. I know. Okay. So all of that's all good fun and tickles the history bone. But I did want to leave everyone with a spooky Halloween tale. But it also is a historical Halloween tale. This is the story of a horrible, terrible man named Stingy Jack. And keep in mind, this legend is passed down over time, so there's a ton of different versions of Stingy Jack. This is just the one that I found told most often online. So, several centuries ago, there was a foul drunkard of a man living in Ireland. He was the town's blacksmith, and he was known as Stingy Jack. He was a two-faced, deceitful man who manipulated and conned people whenever and wherever he could. He was selfish and greedy. He cared for no one but himself, and he looked down on others and failed to show any signs of kindness or empathy. He was vile, and people stayed as far away from him as they could. But people often spoke of Stingy Jack, and word of this evil man reached evil himself, Satan. Satan was intrigued by Stingy Jack and wanted to meet and possibly collect this so-called man because evil respects evil. So, one evening, in the dark Irish hills, Satan sent one of his minions, a demon, posed as a dead man, to wait for Stingy Jack to run into him. So Stingy Jack comes across this body, and he leans over, and the demon pops his eyes open and looked at Stingy with a deranged smile. Stingy Jack knew this was a demon, that he was here on the devil's behalf, and that he had finally come for his soul. But... Stingy Jack was not ready to die, so he turned to his old ways, manipulation, and he asked this demon for one final request. He asked for just one more drink. The demon agreed, and together, they went to the nearest tavern. One drink turned to too many drinks to count, and before long, there was nothing left to drink. So the night came to an end, and the barkeep gives Stingy Jack the bill, but Stingy Jack checks his pockets. He has no money. So he turned to this demon beside him and said, well, you're a demon. Aren't you magical? Can't you transform into a piece of silver and pay the tab? And the demon says, well, yes, I can do that. I am magical. But instead of paying, Stingy Jack grabs this coin and stuffs it into his pocket, which he has a crucifix within. So Stingy Jack has trapped the demon as a coin with this crucifix in his pocket. He had outsmarted the demon and the demon was unable to return to his normal form. Stingy Jack laughs and laughs, and he says, I'll let you out if you leave me alone for at least ten years. The demon agrees, they make a deal, and Stingy Jack lets him go. Time passed, and the devil was determined to bring Stingy Jack to hell. He found Stingy Jack at an apple tree one day, and Stingy Jack again is not ready for death. So he asks the devil to have one apple from the tree to quell his hunger before the journey. Not so smartly, the devil agrees. And while the devil is selecting the apple, Jack goes to carve four crucifixes into the bark of the tree and traps the devil within it. So 
So there Jack is, proud and standing smiling, watching the devil squirm. <laughs> he once again had tricked evil. And once again, he decides to make a deal. He says he will let the devil out as long as he doesn't take him to hell. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. The devil had learned his lesson and did not try again. So Stingy Jack continues with his life. But he didn't live much longer because his drinking habits and malicious soul took a toll on him. And when he died, he was turned away from heaven and sent to the gates of hell. But when Stingy Jack gets to the gates of hell, Satan refuses his entry because Jack had made a deal that he would never go to hell. Even hell did not want Stingy Jack. And I also think perhaps Satan was afraid of being dethroned because, I mean, if he was outsmarted that many times, right, Master of trickery. Yes. So Jack, sadly, looks back to a path of darkness and he asks Satan for one thing. Can he have a light to lead his way. Satan grabs an ember from the fiery depths of hell to give him a little light as he wandered the world in darkness. And he gives Jack one small coal. To make it easier to carry, Stingy Jack grabs a turnip. He hauls it out and places the coal within, making a makeshift lantern. But if heaven doesn't want you and hell doesn't want you, where do you go? Well, Stingy Jack had no choice but to remain earthbound. So Jack wandered the earth with his turnip lantern, and every once in a while, people would see his ghost wandering aimlessly around the Irish countryside. And everyone knew it was Stingy Jack, and they started to refer to him as Jack-O the Lantern, or Jack-O-Lantern. And people were fearful that the evil, deceitful spirit of Stingy Jack would visit their homes, so they would take precautions on October 31st, or Samhain, And they would carve a menacing face into turnips and rutabagas and display them on their doorsteps with a burning ember or a candle inside, hoping it would scare off spirits, but specifically scare off Jack. So then in the 19th and 20th centuries, the Irish migrate to America and they bring this tradition of carving jack-o'-lanterns with them. And they realize that in the States, there are pumpkins, which are much bigger and better to carve into than turnips and rutabagas. So thus came forth the American tradition of carving pumpkins for Halloween, but it was all because people were terrified of the spirit of Stingy Jack, or Jack the Lantern. Jack-o'-lantern. The devil's reject. Yeah. Isn't that so cool? I had no idea. I love that. That's (laughs) so cool. I feel like that's such a good, that's just such a good, like, story to tell anyone of any age. It's not too scary, but it's also exciting and a little nerve-wracking at times. Yeah. I love that origin story. Isn't it really cool? That's so great. And it's just like – That's a good Halloween costume. Oh, that is. I wonder what you would dress up, though, as – I mean, Stingy Jack was a blacksmith, so I don't know. Some clothes from the olden days? Yeah. I don't know. Like a trench coat with a bunch of tricks on the inside. Whatever blacksmiths wore. Some, like – Coal rubbed around your face. Put a pumpkin over your head. See, these are the things that you don't always think about. It's like, where did this stuff come from? Where did this mm-hmm. tradition come from? Where did this, the idea even originate from? It's interesting how many different iterations it has and how many different cultures it passes through to get to like the version that you may have and, and wherever you yeah. live, which is, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, that's, I think not to, oh, I'm becoming my own worst nightmare. <laughs> I was going to say, not not to bring up Christmas before Halloween, 
but that the movie Klaus, I loved that movie because it just showed a different and like more traditional version of Santa Claus. And I like hearing these stories and all the different iterations of our celebrations. Me too. I just think it's so cool because there's so much history to it and it dates back so far beyond even like I feel like the, you know, the existence of the United States. And so much of it has like been passed down through generations or oral history and Mm -hmm. oral tales and just it's my favorite. It's awesome. Well, we do really like a little bit of history sprinkled in with our podcast. I mean, I guess a lot of our our podcast is history, (laughs) but got to love learning about pumpkins. Okay. I love the direction you went, but I went a little different. (laughs) I was thinking of our very first Halloween episode that we ever did when we started the podcast back in 2017. And I re-listened to it because I was like, what do we talk about? Because I feel like we covered a lot in that one. What did we talk about? Little bits. We we talked about a lot of different like lore and legend around the holiday. Mm. But we also in that episode had mentioned a few different cases involving like poison or weapon-filled <sighs> candy. Oh, my god! And then this kind of led me on the path to this other legend. And this is a legend that some believe is just that, that they think it's just a legend. Mm-hmm. But others aren't so sure and think that maybe there is some truth to it. But this is the legend of Clara Crane, also known as the Candy Lady. So very fitting for Halloween. Eek. Okay. I don't think I know much about her. Uh, well, I – yeah – me, I hadn't heard about her at all. I mean, she's not she's not specific to Halloween, but right. is very candy driven and within the paranormal realm. So, fits so in. as you're all getting excited to unwrap the candy, <laughs> maybe you're be forewarned. Gonna, beware the candy. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, Clara, she was born back in 1871 in good old Texas, United States. And she married an older man named Leonard who owned a farm. And then not long into their marriage, they gave birth to a lovely baby girl named Marcella. And Marcella, they called her Marcy, was absolutely adored by Leonard and Clara. Her parents just absolutely loved Marcy. She was their only child, and she just made the farm so much better. It was just the two of them as a couple before, and now they were parents, and they got to affectionately watch their child grow and play and laugh, and they had this, like, little sanctuary of the farm and their neighboring town, and it was just, like, a really lovely life that they had as a family. But then when Marcy was five, this world, this lovely little world – stopped. Oh no. Because there was a farming accident. One victim dead and it was Marcy. No. No, not Marcy. Yes. Not Marcy. I know. She was only five. And Clara was obviously beside herself. What How happened? could this happen? How could she have died? I don't know the exact details of what happened, but basically Leonard was watching Marcy and it was uncovered that I'm assuming there was some like equipment that fell on her oh, or like no. she might have been run over by something i don't know but leonard had been watching her at the time on the farm and it had come out later that he wasn't the most alert caretaker at the time because he had actually been drunk at the time of the accident so he wasn't really watching her with a careful eye like he should have been and marcy got severely injured and died on the farm there was nothing that they could do and this just destroyed them i mean the police ruled it as accidental and they stated that neither parent was at fault but clara just she i mean i understand like she could not move on 
Yeah. All the love, all the trust, all the partnership between them was gone. She Aww. just could not look at Leonard without thinking of Marcy. And she became entirely withdrawn from Leonard and the world around her, really. She just became so inside herself and wasn't really communicating with anyone. And this anger and this grief, it just festered and it grew. And then finally, Clara was absolutely certain. She'd convinced herself, even though the evidence said that it was an accident, she convinced herself that Leonard had killed Marcy. It was entirely his fault. He murdered their daughter. Ugh. And so she knew what she had to do. She needed to seek revenge for her daughter. <gasps> she needed to kill her daughter's killer. Oh, my gosh. Leonard. So Clara then came up with this whole plan to essentially poison Leonard. So she made all of these candy caramels, and she added her secret ingredient of poison, and she offered them to Leonard. And Leonard is like, oh, my gosh, yes, look at this, a moment of affection and active service. Like, my wife, she's finally she's showing back. me some warmth. Yeah. Of course I'll try your caramels, Clara. Oh, no. And so he eats them. And those are the last caramels that he'll ever have because they were poisoned and they took effect quickly and he died that same day. I'm going to start a company called Clara's Caramels. And when people ask me why I named it that, I'll tell them this story. <laughs> After a woman who murdered her husband with poisoned caramels, do you still want some? Do you want to know I where I got my box? recipe from? <laughs> we have one secret ingredient. <laughs> There's one special caramel in every box. <laughs> that would be so scary. This is like Squid Game now. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Leonard dies. And then the next day, a neighbor stops by to just check on them and say hi. And they found Clara distraught and she was outside, she was building a fire and she was just babbling and not really, she was pretty much incoherent, not really making any sense. She was really aggressive and she seemed to not really understand quite where she was. Hmm. So the neighbor contacted the police. The police came to check out Clara and her aggression worsened and she was kind of uh, like attacking them and really, really aggressive. So they took her into custody and then they began to investigate the now crime scene because there's a dead husband there when they get there. Oh, whoa. Apparently the poisoning <laughs> was pretty obvious. And so she was convicted of first degree murder. But given her mental state, they moved her to the North Texas Lunatic Asylum, which is currently now in operation as Terrell State Hospital. And unsurprisingly haunted. <laughs> but in the hospital, when Clara was there, her condition just did not seem to get any better. She basically refused to believe that her family had died. It's very Shutter Island. Uh, so she took her bed sheets from her room. And I think where you might think this is going is actually opposite. She used these bed sheets to fashion them into a doll. And now oh. these bed sheets are tied into the shape of a doll. And the other patients and the doctors and the staff who look on and, and care for Clara mm -hmm. noticed that she was conversing with her cloth doll, singing to the doll, calling the doll Marcy. Oh. Other than that, Clara was well, – she wasn't really an overly difficult patient. She was, like, pretty quiet. She was kind. She was well-liked by the staff. She was very personable and charismatic. And so people were like, oh, this is just, like, this charming young lady who just happens to not understand that her child is dead and is now oh, calling so this sad. wrapped up sheet her daughter. Yes, it's incredibly sad what happened to Clara. And the consuming grief that it had on her yeah. and her mental state. It's just horrific. 
But luckily, Clara didn't have to spend the rest of her life in this asylum because in 1899, just four years after her initial conviction and sentencing, she was released due to overcrowding on the assumption that she would not reoffend, that this was a crime of passion. It was mm. very specific to the person and that she wasn't, she wasn't a risk to society. And so they were like, this is an easy person to release. However, at that time, <laughs> there wasn't much consideration as to the help that she needed mentally. Right. And it was evident that she still very much needed assistance because when Clara was informed of her release date, she wrote a letter to her sister and it read, Dearest Aggie, I am elated. I've been informed by Dr. Matthews that Marcy and I will be returning home in less than three weeks. <gasps> As you can imagine, Marcy can barely contain her excitement. Oh. Every night she asks, is tomorrow the day we go home, mother? Very soon I will be able to tell her yes. Our stay has been somewhat of a trial, though I have been grateful to the good doctor and his staff and their dedication to our treatment Whoa. and recover. Leonard's death has put us into such a severe state of melancholy that I feared we would never escape it. These past few years have been more difficult than any in my life, and my dear Marcella, after all that she had to endure, has become my strength, my flame of hope. <gasps> Whoa. So obviously, an alarming letter for her sister to receive. Right. Living in an alternate reality. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. She her reality is very distorted from yeah what is fact, but at least she knows Leonard's death. Yeah, it's one person that ha whose death has been somewhat accepted. But did she realize that she had killed him? Probably not. Probably not. No. Probably not. Yeah. So Clara is released, and presumably she returned home. But the problem of the time is that there's no real record of what she did, and there was no aftercare plan. Like they didn't. Right. There was no police intervention or state or hospital, like, regular check-ins planned. They just literally sent her off with her Goodbye. Yeah. doll Marcy and thought things would be fine. Whoa. And maybe things were for a bit. Because just a few years after Clara's release, children started to go missing. All of the missing children had one thing in common. Oh, no. Or, I guess, two things in common. They lived near the old crane farm where Clara and her family had once lived, and they'd found candy on their windowsills before <gasps> disappearing. Oh, I just got chills. I know. So there wasn't a real pattern to the candy. There was no indication of when it would appear, who would get it, or when the child would disappear. But sometime in the night, candy would be placed on the windowsill of a child. And sometimes this happened every night, sometimes not. It was every other night, once a week. And sometimes there were notes written on the wrappers of the candy. And then sometimes the candy was plain and just left there. At first, the children did not tell their parents of this mystery candy because why would they? Likely the candy would be taken away from them. They'd right. be under a watchful eye. Like, what a treat. They get this candy on their windowsill. How magical. And mm. for sure, if they told someone, that would be ripped away from them. So a lot of children kept it very clo close to themselves and did not oh. reveal that they were getting this candy in the windowsill. But then after many children disappeared, the kids began to talk and they would tell each other and tell their parents about the candy that had been left and the notes that had been left asking the children to come play with her. <gasps> Signed, ah. the candy lady. From the candy so the lady. From the candy lady. Oh, Come God. play with me. I have the chills. candy lady. Ooh, so creepy. And the children who did leave to play never returned. 
So nearly 10 children had gone missing over a few years, and residents started to realize that this wasn't some vagabond or some lost children. This was a repeat offender. This was intentional. It was specific to their area, and children were being targeted. And the same thing was most likely happening to every single child that had been missing. So everyone's on alert now, beyond what they the alert that was made every time a child went missing. Now they're really, really suspicious, and they begin to investigate. And the prime suspect is Clara Crane, because the murder started around the time that she was released. It's in her hometown. She killed her own husband with candy. Yeah. And this is signed the candy lady, and it's happening kind of near her farm. So all signs are sort of pointing to this being a really good possible suspect, and no one knows where Clara is. My question is, are the children going missing or are they showing up murdered? Well, okay. Undetermined, but I guess a disturbing fact to tell you is that a farmer had noticed walking through his field in that town. He noticed a few candy wrappers in his field, and the wrappers had something in them, and he unwrapped them, and there were children's rotten teeth inside <gasps> of the wrappers. What? Yes. So I don't know if they were murdered or if their teeth were just extracted, but the kids never showed up again. I'm assuming it's oh murder. But yeah, so once the farmer found that, like, stakes are high, pressure's on for law enforcement to solve this issue. I mean, these murders. But the murderer, whoever it was, Clara or whoever it was, was really just not afraid. Instead, the candy lady left a message for those who were trying to hunt her down. She murdered a member of law enforcement. She threw him into a ditch, jabbed a fork into his eyes, and then placed a bunch of candy in his pockets. As like a threat from the candy lady oh my to any, gosh. Of, any of the people who were trying to get too close. So they never did find the candy lady, unable to identify her. But the lesson from the legend is not to take candy from strangers, which is very bad advice when <laughs> Halloween is about to come up and trick-or-treating. Well, strangers in the version of like someone walking by on the street say hey kid you want some candy or like hey you come don't into my van mystery treats appearing at, at, a, at a time when it's not expected yes yes not a planned event trick-or-treating is okay yes. yes but be wary of any notes left on your windowsill for you never know if the note is from a friend or a foe so if you want to keep your life <laughs> and your eyeballs and your teeth for future enjoyment of candy Beware the candy lady. Whoa. Okay, so Clara the candy lady existed, but we don't – is the lore or suspected lore that, like, she killed all these kids or took all these kids? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, well, some people are like, Clara never existed, but other people are like, yes, there's record of Clara existing, but where it turns to lore is when she gets let out and then – Gotcha. Okay. These murders and candy and all this. So that's the part that – doesn't have much backing it and it's kind of like right. oral legend so whether it's clara whether it's entirely made up or whether there was some right minute tiny thing that happened that kind of like spurred this series of events and and oral retellings of this extreme case we don't really know but it's one of those legends of poor clara and her how her life turned out yes very poor clara it, it from a psychological standpoint, it is curious if this is real or even in the lore of it that she would kill the children because to me it would be like she wants to pretend these children are Marshy. Marcy. 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 Marcella. Yeah. Marcy. I know I was thinking the same thing. 
I can't remember what the movie or show is, but there was one really disturbing movie where there was a parent who like couldn't accept that they had a like baby boy. And so they would dress up the boy as a little girl and basically like, treat this boy as like their daughter. And I can't remember oh. how it ended. I th- but it, at the time, I was like very disturbed by like this, the mental toll that and the, like abuse it took on this child in this fictional tv show or movie but I, I would think that it was the same thing like right like she tried to dress them up yeah. to be looking more like marcy and call them marcy and i also want to know what movie you're talking about i really oh god i can't remember they like die in a stream or something oh it kind of i'll do some go- i'll do some googling the hand that rocks the cradle where the like nanny is like this woman who's seeking revenge and she tries to like become the mother of the baby it's super creepy Oh, yeah. I feel like there's always some sort of trigger that can happen where it's unpredictable what sort of things will come forth or how your brain yeah. will react to certain events. And I think it's just always so sad when it when it has to do with, like, kids and parents. I know. It's so sad. Oh, I'm watching yeah. – well, we just finished Nine Perfect Strangers, but there is, like, a family whose son had died by suicide, and it's just, like – they're trying to cope with it, but like most couples, like don't make it through things like that. Mm-hmm. So similar to how Clara and her husband, like yeah. how Clara just like grew this distrust of her husband. Right. Yeah, it's super tough. It's making me wonder. So now thinking about like the lore version, the legend version of mm-hmm. the story, and the the rappers found in the farm fields with rotten teeth. It makes me wonder if it was Clara. Yeah, and she was trying to find Marcy or or whatever. What if she had convinced herself that the same sort of like poison candies are what would like bring someone back to life? What if she kept oh 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 murdering the kids, <gasps> like poisoning them, and then being like, "Oh, you're not the true Marcella because you died." Like you know the classic oh my witch gosh. hunt sort of thing. Like oh, we'll put a boulder on your leg and throw you in the stream, and if you float, you're a witch, and if you yeah. drown, oh, you're that's a terrible. Human. And then it's like, okay, well, you just killed someone. Okay, that's horrifying to think of. I was thinking like, what if? She just only fed the children her new Marcella's candy and their teeth started rotting. So she would throw the rotted teeth away. Or a lot of kids have baby teeth. So maybe it's just like rotted baby teeth. Or Mm. she's smart and knew that eventually people would be able to be identified by their teeth. And so she plucked all the children's teeth out so they can never be identified. I mean, yeah, disturbing. (laughs) I mean, I think you can identify someone when they're – have a gummy mouth without any teeth. You're like, we must be one of the missing kids. I know, I know. But yeah, it's all, I mean, if it has any truth to it, it is a very horrifying tale. It is. It is. It's it's simultaneously horrifying and heartbreaking because you empathize with poor Clara, but then it's just like also terrifying to think that someone like that is out there in the world. I just also think in general, candy, associating candy with like Halloween or with Mm -hmm. some of the scarier stories we've heard like this or, you know, poison candy or candy with razor blades in them. It's an interesting juxtaposition to take something that's supposed to be so sweet and give you so much joy and be so special and then immediately couple it with danger and fear. Yeah. So easy to ruin nice things. Or treat. Yeah. See, I prefer Mischief Night to all of this. I mean, yes, you'll survive mischief. Yeah. <laughs> Surviving this. Very scary. Yeah. Okay. I basically did like a Halloween search and I found an email from our listener, Alex, and it is called Halloween Ghost Party. 
<laughs> hey, so I've emailed you guys before, I think, but this is something new that happened on Halloween night, or I guess early in the morning of November 1st. For some background, my best friend Daisy can sense spirits. Usually it's just a silhouette or certain features, but she can describe them. I found this out about a year ago when she told me she had seen my uncle around my house. I was really close to him and his death hit us hard since my aunt, his sister, hadn't told us he was sick because she didn't want to distract from my quinceanera. Last year in September, my grandma passed away and my friend Daisy had seen her on the last night of our novena when we pray for nine days so they can pass on. Well, on Halloween night, we decided to continue our tradition of getting drunk at her boyfriend's house minus the extra guests because of COVID. And after our Harry Potter drinking game and multiple try not to sing challenges, her boyfriend called it a night and left the two of us in the living room. I had decided to read her tarot cards. And after her reading, I began shuffling my cards for my own reading when she stopped me. And while I don't remember most of the conversation since I was pretty intoxicated, I remember the important bits. They were there for about two hours. Daisy said my uncle, my grandma, and my aunt were all there. And I'm going to break apart what each family member said to hopefully make it easier to understand. My aunt showed herself as a seven-year-old, but died when she was 27 and was paralyzed for most of her life. She had told Daisy that she didn't die at seven, but chose that body because she felt like she didn't get the childhood she deserved. She had told Daisy that she likes dolls and nail polish and had been laughing at my jokes and the little things that I did. She had told us that a part of her is always with my mom and sleeps with her sometimes. She told me that she loved us all, even if I never got to meet her, and that I shouldn't feel guilty for not being able to. The next day, I bought her purple nail polish to put on our ofrenda. My uncle had the sassiest remarks to me drinking. He had a drinking problem when he was alive and told me he understood I wanted to have fun and be young, but knew I was using alcohol as a crutch. He told me he knew what that could lead to and that I shouldn't rely on it. And you can believe the man had the audacity to say he would snitch on me if he were alive. Anyway, he told me he felt guilty with how he left things and that he couldn't fully move on because we needed to know how much he loved us. He thanked us for putting his picture on our ofrenda. I think he may have thought that because of the problems we had that we wouldn't include him, but our family loved him so much. The next day, my dad poured him a shot. My grandma had the most to say. She spent those two hours scolding and comforting me, and she started by telling me that I should come out to my parents. About two years ago, I realized I was bisexual and had only come out to Daisy and her boyfriend a year ago. I think she knows how much it hurts me to hide myself, but I'm scared at how my parents will react. She has told me that while she might not have agreed with us alive, She's seen so much more and knows it won't benefit anyone not to be your true self in life. My grandmother also told Daisy about a crush she had on a childhood friend and how her parents made her think it was wrong and she internalized that. She told me she was sorry for how her dementia made her act towards the end of her life and how she regrets not being here for my mother as much. My little sister had gotten pregnant last year and given birth this year to a beautiful baby girl. But being only 16, she was struggling to manage school and being a mother. She also recently had gallbladder surgery to top it all off, and my parents have been hard on her, commenting on her body and how she's a lazy mother. My grandma had a few words to say about that. She said that my mother should know how hard it is to raise a baby young, and she thinks that my sister is an amazing mother for her age. I found out the next day that my grandmother had given birth to her first child 
around the exact time my sister had given birth to my niece. The night wasn't always filled with sadness, though. My grandmother scolded Daisy every time she took a sip of her Mike's Hard Lemonade and would continue scolding her while we went to the bathroom, not allowing us any privacy. (laughs) My grandma told Daisy, we all have the same parts anyway. And her last request was to add a cupcake to the ofrenda, which I got her the next day. Lastly, when my grandmother passed away, my grandfather brought us one of her three chihuahuas to take care of. Daisy said there was a small tan chihuahua puppy that hung around my grandmother. And when I asked my grandfather if they had a puppy pass away, he told us one of our dog's twins died not too long after being born, something not even my mom knew. When I asked Daisy where they were most of the time, she told me she saw a field and that they were there running and playing. The night ended with Daisy puking her guts out and me making a list to tell my parents the next day. Thank you so much for reading my mess of a story, Alex. I mean, this is the best version of Halloween. The veil is thinner and all of her relatives Uh are able to come through and connect with her. We all need a friend like Daisy. I know. What a good friend to have. And, like, someone to actually – to recognize and feel comfortable enough, like, yeah. communicating and relaying messages and images. I am curious if Daisy has, like, negative experiences or if they're all kind of like this where it's family members coming to talk to their relatives and it's kind of peaceful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. I wonder if all of those relatives know each other too, everybody who came through. Yeah. Is it the same side of the family or, like, do the, do the spirits recognize each other? Did they come together or are they just right. like, oh, are you – the on on the dad's side i'm the uncle or grandma on this side like <laughs> i'm imagining like all of them trying to talk at once and daisy's like okay take a number you each yeah one at a time who holds the talking stick yeah <laughs> <laughs> dang i like I it though it's like the family members are still setting things in place they're still mm-hmm. helping with family communication trying to teach lessons yes. guidance yeah Stepping in when need be. I always think about our conversation with Conchetta Bertoldi and how she said that like once you pass on, you kind of see everything in this like different way and you're in this peaceful state and you just can, there's no like biases or stereotypes or things. So it's just like Mm -hmm. this like really beautiful outlook on life. And I just love that this is like what our family came back for. Like they came back to say, I love you. We love you and the family. And also just like life is too short not to be yourself. Right. I know. I like that they gave her the reassurance. It's like, you're entirely accepted. We love you so much. And now you need to take the steps to make sure that you can be fully who you need to be in this life, giving her the nudge. I wonder if her friend has ever read – this is reminding me of the book that we're (laughs) reading right now, The Kindred Spirit Supper Uh Club. And I feel like her friend is reminding me of the main character being this like Mm. medium for for spirits to talk to people. Alex, let's set up call with Daisy. We need all of Daisy's secrets. <laughs> Who else yeah. has she talked to? <laughs> Tell Daisy to email us. All right. This is from Amanda. Hey, ghostesses. However the heck you spell that. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda here. First off, y'all are freaking amazing. So many people in my life don't believe in the paranormal. So I'm super stoked to find people who understand and believe in it like I do. Let me begin with growing up. Ghosts were frequently in my life. Almost too frequent. But hey, it was entertaining. Am I right? <laughs> But I feel called to email you about this one particular event ever since hearing one of your episodes where you talked about demons and how they can either time warp or place memories into your head that didn't really happen just to freak you out. 
Well, this changed my entire perspective of a very unforgettable experience in my past that I'm now trying to understand from this new perspective. So here it goes. I went to a very small Christian elementary slash middle school. We had a fall festival every year around Halloween where we would have carnival games, clowns, and even a hayride in the dark in the backfield. This sounds so fun. Yeah, what? Well, I this, go. <laughs> well this field was a, also a great place for us kids to run into and play hide and seek. Not only was the grass as tall as four feet high, but in between the festival and the grass were parked cars. So all the privacy we needed to be reckless and have our own little fun. Yes, take that as you will. So being kids, a bunch of us run into the tall grass to play hide and seek, and it's a dark night. Only the lights from the festival could be seen in the distance. This is important to note. My best friend, let's call her T, and I were searching for her little sister, Abby. I don't remember a single soul besides us three being out there, but there were definitely more of us. Anyway, the fact that I can only remember the three of us is also important. T and I were running around when all of a sudden we saw this reddish-orange glow behind us. Again, it was dark, and I mean dark, like what the heck could be glowing that wasn't glowing a minute ago? Mind you, we were also in the middle of the grass field in between the parked cars and the woods late at night. I mean, that's just naturally a little eerie, at least if you're like me and imagine all the creepy things that could pop out of the woods (laughs) at night, which did I mention the field backed up to endless woods? Back to the random reddish glow behind us. When we turned around, there was now a clearing in the grass that didn't exist a minute ago. What? With a gigantic bonfire in the middle of the clearing. (gasps) Tall crosses in the middle of the fire. Tall figures in black hooded cloaks standing around the fire. And there she was, Abby, hanging off of what, to my memory, looked like a freaking cross. But she was hanging on the cross. So, of course, we're totally freaked out at this point. I remember screaming and crying, begging the cloaked figures who were holding scythes, by the way, Grim Reaper vibes, I know, but screaming not to sacrifice Abby, because apparently that's what we thought was going to happen. What happened in those next few minutes, I truly don't remember, but the next thing I knew, I blinked and everything was gone. The fire, the cloaked figures, Abby hanging on the cross. Instead, all three of us were holding each other in disbelief. So, of course, I told everybody and their mother about the story, and nobody believed us. No. Whatever. F them. Something just doesn't carve itself into your memory as well as this did if it didn't freaking happen. But really, were the cloaked figures demons? Were they truly wanting to sacrifice my best friend's little sister? Was she really hanging on the cross in the middle of the fire? It all sounds so bizarre, I know, but this shit happened. So fast forward 15 years, and everyone still continues to tell me that it had to have been a dream, but I knew it wasn't. I mentioned it to my friend T just to see if she remembered and if this did actually happen. And she freaking remembered. I told you guys, I'm not crazy. So now I'm sitting (laughs) here after listening to your episode thinking maybe it didn't physically happen, but a demon put it into our memory or did some crazy time manipulation thing. I don't know. But it was freaking insane. And I feel like besides T, this is one place where people would actually believe my story. So thanks for entertaining us not only with your fun-ass personalities, but everybody's wild stories. See you on the other side, Amanda. That is horrifying. It really reminds me of like a dark episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, that Netflix Mm, version. Yes. Like I truly believe there were – whether it was demons or like some – witchcraft like dark witchcraft happening in the woods and they like maybe there was a ceremony of people selling their souls to satan and they walked into it and they needed a sacrifice in order to complete the ritual 
I don't know. Or maybe she was the chosen one. She had to sign Ooh. her name in a book. She was going to be the next. <gasps> she was the trainee. She was going to take no. the place of the next head demon or Satan or something. It is really interesting, though, because it almost reminds me a little bit. I mean, I think definitely demon. Yeah. But this is reminding me a little bit of alien abductions because people like it's just a blink of an eye and they're suddenly like back in different positions together or whatever and this is that like they were the two people were separate from abby who was in the middle of these cloaked figures they were screaming and crying for her pleading Mm -hmm. and begging and then all of a sudden snap everything's dark the fire is gone the people are gone and the three of them are together holding each other and they all remember like they all, I mean, I, I guess we don't know if Abby does, but the if th- Abby does, but T does, and they, like, that's a shared experience. It's not just, right. it's just, it's not just Amanda who remembers it, and it's also not like the three of them were together in the beginning. Like the two of them were, but they were looking for Abby. They hadn't found right. Abby yet, and then suddenly, a second later, she's there, like huddled together, holding each other. Ooh, where Abby just blinked into their hug. Right. I want to know Abby's memory of it and maybe she was too young to like actually remember all of it but she's the one who disappeared first and then they went looking for her so what happened to her did she wander into it did they pick her did they grab her i feel like this would totally be one of those trauma-filled experiences that you block out of your memory yeah 100 percent. hold it deep deep down and just do not remember what if abby listens go about your life unless what if abby listens to this podcast and she hears this story and it triggers and it triggers the memory oh man well then we're gonna have to pay for her therapy i think (laughs) (laughs) don't quote us on that wow i know but that is so yeah like what did she happen upon and what did the other kids playing in the area see did they just see like abby run out of the woods and start holding the two other girls and them just like right holding each other like what 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 <sighs> was the visual for everyone else who didn't have that manipulation happen to them i want to know where this is exactly and just put out like a on the next door app in that neighborhood find out like put out a question of has anyone ever experienced anything weird in these woods i know yeah it's interesting too because like it was a christian elementary school and middle school and mm-hmm. it was around Halloween, but they were, like, putting on all these Halloween-themed Activities, events. Which, yeah. Yeah, which made me think, like, oh, maybe there was some sort of, like, spookiness or energy created that made mm-hmm. this a little more possible. Or I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the woods. Maybe, like, in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, there are just clans like this that exist, and they're among us. Yeah, I just don't know. If you have the same powers as me, which is regular human... <laughs> how you can create this environment and be undetected and disappear in a second and displace people well i don't think they're human they're not human they can't be they're definitely not they can't be unless they've come up with some invention and they know something we don't know because i would love to from the future teleport if you can if they know how to teleport please share you know, I want to believe in everything, and part of me wants to be like, there, maybe there are like three people out there in the world that have figured out teleportation and are <laughs> just doing it themselves. Like, yeah, other people don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, don't. It's like don't share if you won the lottery with people. Don't share if you've yep. figured out teleportation. Yeah, although someone just won the lottery, someone won big in California. Powerball. Ugh, wish it was me. I know. Yeah, but you do, but also you don't because in California, it's really hard with laws to be anonymous. So, mm. Mm. well, if you won the lottery and I found out, Sabrina, I'd be like, 
All right. Month of October. We're heading out. No excuses. <laughs> we are freaking going on spooky adventures oh my all month long together. Well, we do have to continue our adventures because it's been far too long since we've celebrated Halloween together. And it truly, like, my Next heart year. aches for it. I feel like a part of me is missing. I know. It's not the same, but we'll do it. We'll next I mean, we've year. We've already been scheming about next year. So I know it'll happen. We should. Well, I've never met Brian, so we should bring our partners. And I also really want to show Nick Boston. Like I don't think he's really seen it. Oh, yeah. We should do Boston. Then we should go up. We should do like Maine. I really want to go. We should go to our Stephen King. Lips. <gasps> Wait, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Stephen King, will you invite the us over? Coast of Maine. I know. Just to have Wouldn't a cup of great? tea with Stephen King. Well, we'll, we'll stop at Martha Stewart's house on the way up. Have a cup of tea. Of course. Then continue on. Bake a few cakes. It'll be great. Yeah. And then tell a scary story. You know what else is coming up? So next week, or I guess this week, in a few days on Tuesday, the 26th, is our kickoff of <gasps> our campfire stories, which if yes. you haven't listened to previous episodes yet – Spotify has an app called Green Room, and Green Room is where you can go live and host a room. And as hosts, Sabrina and I can give the mic over to people that are in the audience and pull them up. So basically, we are hoping that this is going to be an opportunity for all of us to come together, us to give you guys mics who want them, and to tell us live your spooky stories and encounters so that we can talk about them real time yes. and it be a two-way conversation rather than just Sabrina and I dissecting it and having these unanswered Where questions Where you have no say stories. in what we say about it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. It's going to be spooky tales with you guys. We'll get to hang and get to know each other. And I mean, the best way to get to know each other is by telling ghost stories. Exactly. So it's going to be every other week. So every other Tuesday. So if Mm -hmm. you follow us on Instagram, we are going to be very diligent about reminding people of when it comes up. The very first episode, because it is the week of Halloween, we wanted to be a little spookier. So we're doing it late night for those on the East Coast. So it's 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. But then every other week, our regular cadence will be 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So yes. please join us, download the Green Room app, and search for Campfire Stories. And yes. you'll see the logo. You can click on it, and then it will say, hosted by Two Girls, One Ghost. And That's when we us. go live, you'll be notified. If As long as you follow us, you'll be notified in case you forget. But I don't know. Put it in your calendar. Can we do like a shared invite to all of our – anyone who's ever emailed us? Oh, I hope calendar so. Calendar invite? Yeah. And also to take some pressure off people, this is not a video thing. It's literally just a microphone that you can unmute. So no pressure. You can also just sit there and hang out and be in the chat and participate or watch or whatever. Put it on in the background. We won't randomly call people on stage. So yeah, if you, it's like a radio show. It's like a radio show. Callers call in and you're just listening to it live. Callan number nine. (laughs) Tell us your haunting tale. We're just going to number everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're excited. Yes. It's going to be fun. We are. But in the meantime, until then, please send us all of your ghost stories. Tell us what you're doing for Halloween. Send us everything Halloween related or ghost related or paranormal, alien, whatever it is. Email it to us at twogirls1ghostpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. 
We have Twitter. We have TikTok. We have things that you should follow. <laughs> and you should also, if you feel so inclined to be spooky or to be in the gifting mood, you can purchase some merch from our website. Yes. You can also join Patreon. And before we say thank you to our Patreon donors, we must say thank you to our editor, Aiden Manning, and the entire team at Upfire Digital. We are so grateful for your editing prowess. And thank you to our Patreon donors, the Phantoms. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.